So, the arrest of Jesus. We just heard it. You can learn a lot about a person, about how they react, uh, when you see how they react under pressure. The true character of someone comes out when they're under pressure. I was trying to think of times when I was under pressure, and some of you know I DJ weddings. And so that's a high-pressure environment, right? You don't want to screw that up. And um, I was DJing a wedding last year, and I really felt the pressure. I was, um, the bride and groom gave me no recommendations except for one. They said, we really want you to play the get up. Some of you guys know that song. It's like a line dance. It's like hip hop slash country. Going to the two step. And, and, um, and so I was like, all right, I got to play that song. That's not usually in my repertoire, but I was like, the bride and groom, this is what they want. So I'm playing it and the whole dance floor is dancing. Everybody's having a great time except for one guy. And he was sitting off in the corner. He was an older guy very old, he had a cane, and he gets up and starts walking towards the DJ booth. And I have like a peripheral vision. I know when someone's coming up to, get a re- to ask for a request, so I figure he's probably coming up to get a request. And so I lean over and as if to take his request. He slams my laptop shut and says, turn this junk off. So slam the laptop shut, all the music cuts out. Everybody's on the dance floor like, what? And by the way, if you're a DJ, it's always your fault. I, if the power goes out, it's your fault. If the music stops, it's your fault. So in that moment, I am feeling the pressure. I'm literally sweating. How do I get music back on ASAP? And so I had the option of kind of just owning it or finding a way to blame the guy. And so I blamed the guy. I, I, I just said, thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks, appreciate it. You know, now the music's cut off. I, I, I forget what I said. I, I think I blacked out, honestly. But... Um, but I wanted people to know it was his fault. Under pressure, under pressure, this is what came out of me. Anxiety, insecurity, wondering, man, everyone thinks I'm a terrible DJ now. What kind of reviews am I going to get? Um, anger definitely came out of me. Under pressure, um, what was down in here came out. And what, uh, what, what comes out of us when we're under pressure reveals a lot about our character. It's not always bad, but oftentimes it is. So this is how you tell a lot about a person is what happens when the final exam is tomorrow and you don't know if you're going to pass. When it's a full count with two outs in the ninth inning and you're up to bat. When the work project is due tomorrow and it's not done, how do you react? Those are lighter examples. What about weightier subjects? When the doctor gives you the news you didn't want to hear. When your kid makes that decision that you prayed they'd never make. When someone you love dies. When a loved one gets pulled back into addiction that you thought was dead and gone. When the waves of trial keep knocking you over one after another after another. The next one coming before you're even even able to get back onto your feet. The true character of someone is revealed under pressure. And sometimes what's revealed is good. Courage, trust, joy. I'm thankful to be a part of a body of Christ where I'm able to see people under the pressure and weight of this fallen world and trusting in Jesus. But oftentimes what's revealed is ugly. Anger. Fear. Running to false gods for comfort. The darkest hour starts with the arrest of Jesus. The person who was under more pressure than any of us combined could ever imagine. And what squeezes out of Jesus when he's under this pressure are four treasures that we're going to find out about our Savior 
this morning. I chose treasures because I know everybody loves, especially you kids, talking about treasure, digging for treasure. And that's what we're doing in God's Word. Penny has, has said this a lot of times. Do you got your shovel out or are you just kicking the dirt aside looking for something good? Let's get our shovels out and let's dig for the treasure of our Savior. Colossians 2 says that in Him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's look for them. So there's going to be four treasures that the arrest of Jesus reveals to us. Number one, the submission of Jesus. I want to paint the picture for you guys here. So verse 1 says, we're just going to read a verse, talk about it, all right? When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. One thing that's really just ironic and just amazing about this brook here, as I always just kind of blew past it, the brook of, of Kidron, um, what I found in my study is that this brook would be, now keep in mind, this is during Passover. There would be hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem, and they would be going to the temple to offer sacrifices, lambs and goats. So hundreds of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of dead animals, and this brook actually ran close to the temple where the runoff from the temple would actually go through this brook. So Jesus is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane his, to, to enter into his darkest hour along this brook that would have been tainted with the blood of sacrificed animals at Passover. Spurgeon says this very brook would remind him of his approaching sacrifice, for through it flowed the blood and refuse from the temple. It says there was a garden. We know this as the Garden of Gethsemane. Why is this significant? Look at what it says about the garden. Verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Why is it significant? Remember, we're talking about the submission of Jesus. If you had a gang of soldiers hunting you down to kill you, where would you hide? Jesus chooses to go to the very first place they would look. The place that he always went with his disciples. We're talking about the submission of Jesus. He goes to the first place they would look. Now this scene, I don't know what your picture in your head. My kids have the Jesus Storybook Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones. Couldn't recommend it more. It's awesome. Um, so this is one of their favorite stories that I read to them. So I wanted to put up the slide. This is how the Jesus Storybook Bible portrays this scene. So you got Jesus and his disciples. You got the soldiers coming with uh, swords and spears and torches. That's just what the text says. Here's one thing they, that, they, that they're a little off on. It says that Judas, having procured a band of soldiers. Do you know what a band of soldiers is? It's not people with trumpets and flutes. It's at least 500 soldiers. Plus, the text says right there in verse 3, that some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches. So there was, there was those people plus the, um, the soldiers. Commentators would say at least six to 700 people went to go arrest Jesus. What would you do when this group approached you and hunted you down? I would run. I don't know about you guys. I would run. I would try to hide. Let's look at what Jesus does. Verse 4. Then... Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. 
Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. What was all that was going to happen to him? Well, he was going to be falsely accused, arrested, mocked, spit upon, beaten until, the scripture says, till he was unrecognizable, nailed to a cross and lifted up to die, but infinitely worse than all that, he would be condemned by his own father. His father, who he has been in perfect relationship with for all eternity, he would be ripped away from on the cross. Some of you are married. I've been married five years. I can't imagine what it would be like to be torn apart from my wife. We've been together five years, and our relationship is imperfect. Jesus and the Father have been in perfect relationship for all of eternity, and Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, the, the, the biggest thing that would happen to him is that his own Father would condemn him, would reject him. This is the amazing submission of Jesus. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. Are you thankful that your Savior came forward this morning? When all the sins of all mankind caught up to them and the cup of God's wrath was filled to the brim, ready to be turned upside down on the sins of the world, your Savior came forward. When you were shackled in sin, doomed to remain there forever and receive the due penalty, your Savior came forward. When you were strangers to grace, having no hope and without God in the world, your Savior came forward. When you were on a one-way highway to hell with no desire to bang a U-turn, just like I was, our Savior came forward. If you're stuck right now in this minute feeling guilt, feeling shame, feeling accused and condemned by the enemy, 2,000 years later, your Savior still comes forward and says, who shall bring any charge against my elect? It is I who justify. Who is to condemn? I'm the one who died. More than that was raised who is at the right hand of God who is interceding for them. No one shall separate them from my love. Your Savior comes forward this morning. Jesus didn't run away from his hour. He submitted to the Father's will to crush him. In other accounts of this, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see Jesus in the garden, and he's, he's greatly troubled, the text says. Luke's account tells us that he's literally sweating drops of blood because of the great distress that he's under, knowing that he's going to faith face the wrath of a holy God. Why? Why this amazing submission? Why would Jesus, the only guiltless person to ever live, submit to being crushed and bearing the sin of the world? Your answer, very simply, is in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So what was the joy? Was it the joy that set before him, was it perfect union with the Father? Kids, no. He already had that from all eternity. He always will have that. Was it dominion over all things? No. He always had that. He always will have that. So what did Jesus not have before the cross that he would have after the cross? Adrian as his. Chris as his. Nick, united to him for all eternity. This is what Jesus didn't have. This is the joy that was set before him. Haley as his, united to him for all eternity. The joy that was set before him was you and me. 
Jesus submitted to the Father's will to crush him so that sinners like you and me could be saved and be given life in his name. This is the amazing submission of Jesus. The next treasure that the arrest of Jesus reveals to us is the self-control of Jesus. Verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. What? Remember, we're talking about 500 soldiers. Jesus says, I am him, I am he. They all fall to the ground. What just happened? I can't believe I've breezed past this text so many times. 500 soldiers hit the deck when Jesus says, I am he. I'll tell you what happened. First of all, I think it's important that you know that the literal translation of what he says in the Greek, the Bible was written, the New Testament was written in Greek, is ego imi. It means I am. Does anyone recognize that language? All right, so when God in Exodus 3.14 and Moses is talking to a burning building, no, he's talking to a burning bush, right? And, and he says, uh, God, who should I tell um, the people sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. That is the divine and holy name of God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, the translation is the same as what Jesus says here. He says, I am, and hundreds of soldiers fall flat on their back. Remember, this is a theme in John, I am, right? Do you guys remember the I am statements? I, I pulled a slide up so that you guys can see. So Jesus, throughout the Gospel of John, is saying, I am, ego me. I am, I am the bread of life, John 6. I am the light of the world, John 8. I am the door of the sheep, John 10. I am the good shepherd, John 10. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. And I am the vine, John 15. And then, so th those are seven. And then in John 8, he, uh, the Pharisees are arguing with him and they're saying, wait, how do you know Abraham? You're not even 50 years old. You, how do you know Abraham? And he says, before Abraham was, ego imi, I am. And right here, we see him say that for the last time and 500 soldiers fall on their back. Why? In this moment, Jesus is peeling back the curtain and giving just a glimpse of his amazing holy, holiness and deity. Colossians 2 says, in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And just for a second, he shows a glimpse of it. And 500 of the bravest, toughest dudes in the world fall flat on their back. A glimpse of God's glory knocks them off their feet. And if you read your Bible, look out for when God shows up, when God gives glimpses of his glory. Because here's a theme. No one can stay on their feet. He's so amazing, he's so holy that people fall on their face when they get just a glimpse of him. Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1 says, when he saw God, I fell on my face. 2 Chronicles 5, the glory of God fills the temple and it says the priest could not even stand. Daniel 10, Daniel experiences God and he falls on his face. Luke 5, when Jesus helps the disciples catch uh, you know, enough fish that almost sank the boat, Peter falls on his face and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. No one is able to stand on their feet in the presence of God. His amazing holiness and power and divinity make it impossible to approach him on our own. 
That's why God himself says, no one can see my face and live. He's perfectly holy. That's his core and his essence. A tissue hit in the sun should be us in his presence. And this, church, is what's mind-blowing about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that this amazing holy God who can't even be glanced at without being flattened like these soldiers invites us to enter his presence with confidence. He invites us to draw near to him as his beloved sons and daughters. How? How could this God who can't even be glanced at without being flattened be approached with confidence by me and you this morning? Because, Kenny said it, we could never get to God on our own, but God in Jesus came to get us. But what about self-control? You note-takers are like, wait a second, aren't we talking about self-control? Think about this. Jesus says, I am, and flattens 500 soldiers. Jesus could have wiped out all of these soldiers and all of his enemies, for that matter, with just a word. He could have destroyed everyone. Matthew 26, he says to Peter, Jesus says, Do you not think that I, could, uh, that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus could wipe out everybody. He could destroy everyone and escape the impending doom of the cross, but he didn't. Jesus is given two really simple choices. A, righteously slaughter his enemies and save himself, or B, submit to the torture of the cross and save the very people who rejected him. Me, and I believe anyone in this room, would have took this, this option. A, Jesus didn't. This is the incredible self-control of Jesus. He could have wiped out everyone, but instead he said, let's go. It's my hour for the joy that was set before him, you and me. The third thing, the third treasure that the arrest of Jesus reveals to us is the shepherding heart of Jesus. Verses 8 and 9. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. This time they don't fall to the ground. That's a mystery to me. But I believe it's because God decided to reveal just a glimpse to remind us and to remind those there of the power of the Son of God and, and God himself in, in Jesus. So this time, they, he says, I am he. And he says, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Third treasure that the arrest of Jesus reveals to us, the shepherding heart of Jesus. If you seek me, let these men go. Think about it. Why were there so many soldiers? It's not like Jesus was Samson with a donkey's jawbone ready to wipe everybody. Jesus hadn't hurt anybody. And he, like, he had no history of like, you know, that he was going to you know, fight these guys or whatever. Why were there so many soldiers? Well, because the soldiers would have been prepared to, to, to arrest an entire hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. Because Jesus had had thousands of people following him before. He fed 5,000 of them at least. So they're ready to arrest Jesus and anyone who would be following him. It happens to be him and his 11 disciples who are left. And Jesus says, and instead of arresting everyone, he says, if you seek me, let these men go. This is what Jesus means in John 13, when John says of Jesus in John 13, having loved those who were his, he loved them all the way to the end. 
This is what Jesus means when he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is what he means when he says, no one will snatch them from my hand. This is the shepherding heart of Jesus. When he's under more pressure, more trouble, more distress than we could ever imagine, what squeezes out of him is a shepherding heart to protect his people. Bruce Milne puts it this way. The good shepherd has committed himself to the sheep. When the wolf comes, he will remain and defend the flock he loves. Whatever the wolf may represent in our lives today, guilt and shame from past failures, the accusing voices of criticism, sudden paralyzing feelings of inadequacy as they come snapping and snarling at our heels, the good shepherd is there to meet them and issue this word of command, let my disciple go. Do you think Jesus is still this good shepherd? Do you think he still defends his sheep? What kind of wolves are snarling and snapping at your heels today? What kind of temptations, lies, accusations, what kind of troubles, trials, and fears feel like they're going to suffocate you? The good shepherd will defend us, his sheep, and no one will snatch us from his hand. You, this morning, as I say, fears, lies, temptations, the things that come to mind, he knows about them. And he's a good shepherd who will defend you against the lies of the enemy, who will carry you through, who will lead you beside still waters and green grass and will lead you all the way to eternity. He will never let you go. That's our good shepherd. And the arrest of Jesus highlights the beautiful shepherding heart of Jesus. Lastly, number four, and more briefly, and the band, you guys can, can come up. Tre uh, fourth treasure that the arrest of Jesus reveals to us is the substitution of Jesus. Verses seven and eight. He says, so he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus told you, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. That's the, the section we just read, right? If you seek me, let these men go. Do you guys see a substitution happening here? Take me, let them go. This is so cool about this text. Again, I don't mean to go, you know, Greek, Greek New Testament on you constantly, but this is so cool, right? Aphemi is the word that's used for let them go. It means to forgive. So Jesus is literally saying, take me, forgive them. So he's saying to the soldiers, take me, let them go. Kill me, let them live. To the Father, he's saying, condemn, condemn me, let them be forgiven. Reject me so that they can be accepted. This is the gospel. If there's one thing you take from today, this is the gospel. Gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus, I can, I'll give it to you in four words. You remember this. Jesus in my place. Jesus took, substitutes himself for you, goes to the cross as if he was the sinner, as if he was the one who had rejected God and said, I want to do things my way, as if he was the liar, as if he was the cheater, as if he was the angry, uh, as if he was the, the, the drunk, um, the addict, as if he was that. He went to the cross so that you, by faith in him, might become the righteousness of God. This is what the gospel is. This is what being a Christian is. 
There's a lot of twisted ideas of what Christians are all about. This is what we're about. Being a Christian is not about what I, you know, what I watch and don't watch, what I say and don't say, uh, what kind of bumper sticker I have, or how good I look on the outside. That's not what being a Christian is. What being a Christian is, is I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, and he took my place on the cross, and now I am seen by God as a righteous son or daughter. And in response to that, I live, I run hard after Jesus. I follow him, and I, 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 I seek to be more and more like him every day. That's what the gospel is. Jesus in my place. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says it this way. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In my place, condemned he stood. He stood. One hymn puts it. A hymn that we just sung, or, or that we're going to sing this morning, is... My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Maybe you're here today, and you've never experienced a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is not currently your substitute. There's two types of people in the world. Those who will, Jesus will pay for their sins, and those who will pay for their own sins for all eternity. Maybe you're here this morning, and you haven't receive Jesus. You haven't believed in him and have life in his name. Know this, that the invitation is right here. God, John's gospel is presenting you the real Jesus and, and asking that you may believe in him and have life in his name. Receive him with the open hands of faith, not with an, a moral improvement plan that's going to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not what it is. It's admitting that you're broken and that you need a savior and believing in Jesus as that savior and be given life in his name forever. Maybe you're here today and you're a Christian, but like me, you're wrestling each day to believe the gospel. You're like, yes, amen, I, you know, I believe this is, this is why I love church, but tomorrow morning it's gonna be tough to live like this is true. I put myself in that category, and I want you to be encouraged by one last thing from the text. We haven't talked about Peter yet, have we? Then Simon Peter having a sword, drew and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, I love Peter. Um, possible son name for the future. Um, Peter is, um, we like him because he wears his heart on his sleeve. You know, and he's, he's, a, he's a zealous guy. He's always the first one to talk, the first one to act. And Peter has just gone through three years of life-on-life -life discipleship with Jesus Christ. So for three years, Jesus is saying, Peter, uh, and, and to the disciples, I'm going to go to the cross and die. He's, he's saying, Peter, uh, the Son of Man came to give his life for a ransom for many. Over and over again, he's telling Peter, this is, the, the way is not that I'm going to take over and be your political leader. No, I'm going to be a Savior who came to seek and save the lost. And Peter, in the last hour, totally misses it again and swings a sword at a, at a dude and cuts off his ear. I'm guessing it was just bad aim. I, I bet you he wasn't aiming for the guy's ear. He swings it, and, and this is what I want to encourage the weary Christian this morning, um, is that Jesus, in his last hour, under the most immense pressure, when the guy that he just taught over and over and over again the gospel, doesn't say, do you know what, soldiers, I changed my mind, take him. <laughs> Sometimes we think the way that that's how Jesus is with us, that he's, he's just, eventually he's just going to get tired of me and, and give up. That's not Jesus. 
in his last, on his way to the cross, he says, Peter, let's go over this one more time. He's a patient Savior. God is a patient God. And so if you're here this morning and like me, you're having a hard time wrestling through, fighting the good fight of faith, waking up, living today and waking up tomorrow and living like this message is true. Take heart because Jesus sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he's patient with you. So those are the four treasures that the arrest of Jesus reveals to us. Amazing submission, incredible self-control, a shepherding heart, and lastly, while we were yet sinners, he became our substitute and took our place on the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what does John want us to do with this? He says, I said at the beginning, I'll say it again, John would say, believe in him. Believe in this Savior and have life in his name. What would your Sunday and Monday and Tuesday look like if you really believed in this Savior and had life in his name? May God help us to believe in him and have life in his name. Amen.